Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A. Kovacs. I am a founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And I am Scott Sigler, New York Times bestselling novelist and friendly representative of the Umbrella Corp. Yikes. Yes. And this is episode eight of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. Today, we're taking a look at the entire Resident Evil movie franchise, all five zombrific flicks. Because tomorrow, tomorrow, ma'am, we are off to see Resident Evil, the final chapter at the theater. And uh, and I'm really hoping there will be some bacon-covered dogs in this one, too. Oh, yes, me too. But yes. before we go any further, uh, this is the official spoiler alert oh, yes, for yes. our uh, podcast today. Um, a little bit late if you wanted to avoid. I, I feel obligated to do a spoiler alert, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're tuning in to us talk about Resident Evil. You sort of know we're going to talk about Resident Evil, but I still feel obligated to do it. Also, these are not exactly M. Night Shyamalan type movies. Uh, <laughs> very, Although, there's very yeah. little we could say in these that would spoil anything that you can't see. You can't just after you watch the first one, you know, it's going to happen. Right, 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 right. Um, but before we talk about Resident Evil, all five and and uh, our hopes for number six, mm-hmm. I would like to let everybody listening know what's coming up next Great. on Friday, February 3rd. We're going to be looking at the top 10 highest budget films of 2016. What were the biggest budget flicks and how did they do compared right. to the market? All right. On Friday, February 10th, we're talking John Wick. Before we go see John Wick 2, I'm so excited. Somebody please give that man a gun. <laughs> Even the tra- Right off the bat with the trailer. Another movie. There's no way you can spoil a John Wick flick. I mean, we know exactly what's going to happen, and we're going anyways. Yeah, we just this week saw the trailer with the dog. It's great. It's great. It's great. And then on February 17th, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of Wayne's World. Wayne's Excellent. World. Party on. Um... And then, and then on February twenty fifth, we're ranking all the Wolverine movies, his solo movies, and his X Men flicks to get ready for the March third release of Logan. This will be the exhaustive and authoritative list. So whatever we say is the official list of how the movies rate. So if you tune in and disagree with us, you're probably wrong. But Hugh Jackman, hopefully going out with a bang, finish that role. He is he has been iconic in that role. Hopefully, he can finish it up strong and have a great flick. Okay, uh, we do have five, count them, five Resident Evil movies to cover today, yes. so we pretty much have to get to get it crack now. crack a But first off, I hear you have collected some information about the financials in the box office, so I'd love to hear that first. Yes, of course I have, because ma'am, you can be as artsy-fartsy as you like with your fancy little award-winning movies and your Golden Globes and your sag this and saggy that, but you know what? At the end of the day, it's about that scratch. The entire franchise, folks at home, brace yourselves. You might want to pull over to the side of the road for this. Five Resident Evil movies have hauled in $941 million. And in the next two weeks, when the the, uh, the six movies officially out has been in theater for a week, they will most likely surpass $1 billion mm-hmm. in revenue. That is on a total production budget of $342 million. So Up until number five. You're talking about... No, that that's... Uh, or does that, that includes that's including wow. inclu- no including number six the total production budget is 342 million so the franchise has made almost three times the production budget 
And as we often mention on this show, straight production budget, you can't just measure that. It isn't the only expense. You also have the print and advertising budget. So the money to make the films and distribute the actual film part of the film and advertising all the TV ads and everything else you see to get people in. And the rule of thumb is that is half of the production budget. So I have done the math. I oh, have done the math. But you say authors are bad at math. We're terrible at math. Okay. Uh, well, I can't speak for the other authors. This author is horrible at math. But if the P&A budget is half the production budget, we add that to the production budget, it costs about $513 million to create and promote all six films so far. Remember, the sixth one hasn't brought any box office yet for a rough profit of $429 million or a profit margin a 54%. Now, I might just be a small-town pizza lawyer, and oh, I might no. know a lot about pizza, about movies, but that sounds pretty good to me. Oof. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. And, the, you know, what's interesting, and we'll talk a little bit more about it uh, shortly after we're done with the financials, but, yeah, it's a it's interesting. This, I, keep, I kept saying during the, the, the watching, mm-hmm. these movies are better than they have than they have any expectation to be. Yeah, you they're don't. video game movies, and they're fun, and they're tight, and they're good. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. But anyway, back to box office. Well, box office, and it's just, it's always fun. You know, I sometimes I, if the critics agree with what I, th- I think, I think critics are great. If the critics disagree with what I think, I think critics are idiots. And this, I would like to point out, with an average tomato meter of about 22% for these movies, they've made a billion friggin' dollars. Huge, huge money. So what we're going to do now is we, uh, oh, also, also, that makes Resident Evil the most successful video game movie franchise ever. It's bigger than Tomb Raider, bigger than Mortal Kombat. So when we said we were dedicating a whole episode to Resident Evil, and many of you guffawed, chortled, laughed, looked down the side of your nose at us, you know, I'm suspiciously. Not sure anybody did that. I think they all did that. Let me tell you something, Mr. Snooty Mams and, and Mrs. and Misters. Uh, this is the most successful video game movie franchise of all time. It's a big deal. So let's talk about each of the movies. Resident Evil 2002. It had a production budget of $35 million, really good budget for back in the day. Worldwide box office, $103 million, so it kicked ass. Resident Evil Apocalypse, 2004, $50 million budget. They went up, and that made $125 at the, at the box office, million worldwide. 2007, movie three, Resident Evil Extinction, they took a little dip, $45 million budget. What happened? Internecine politics, we don't know what's going on at the movie theater, but worldwide box office, $146 million. So it's still kicking ass. Number four came out in 2010. That's Resident Evil Afterlife. A budget of $57 million, So back up on top again. $295 million Oof. box office. Absolutely killed it. And then the uh, the most recent one, 2012, Resident Evil Retribution, which was nuts. It was, cra- it was crazy. That was a, we should have been on acid to watch that. Mm-hmm. They went way up production budget of $65 million, $238 million payday worldwide. And finally, it was hard to find this, but I have my ways. Resident Evil, the final chapter, production budget of $90 million. And the movie theater apparently is keeping that very quiet because it's such a, it's such a jump up from the other ones. Sure. It hasn't even played in America yet, not on one screen. It has already made $31 million at the box office in, world, worldwide in, in pre-America releases. It, or is that pre-release ticket sales? Uh, oh, it could be pre-release tickets. Yeah, I think it's probably pre-release. It doesn't list it under domestic, so I'm guessing that may, maybe it's come out in a few markets. Well, is it like um, like the book market? Because we don't oh, see no. any of our numbers ahead of time. We see them all once there's do, no I domestic know, sales ma'am. before the book know. comes out. However, it's already made a third of yeah. its production budget back, and it hasn't even technically been in theaters yet. So it's it's uh, it's it, it's shaping up to be a home run. Is yeah, what it's looking absolutely. Like. So, no matter what you think of the quality of the Resident Evil movies, there is no question they're a giant moneymaker, 
because millions of people go to these films yeah. and they love these films. Yeah, people eat them up, movies, DVDs, theaters, they just love them. So let's talk about why that is. Uh, what are the overriding elements of the Resident Evil flicks? And I think first and foremost, obvi- obviously, Mila Jojovich is, she's the star, she's mm-hmm. Alice, she is absolutely fan-freaking-tastic in, the, in she's these She's great movies. in these. She's, she's, she's great. Perf- she, she's absolutely perfect for this role. Uh, she does, you know, uh, she does most of her own stunts. Uh, uh, from what I have read. So she really carries the action pretty well. Right. And, you know, she's, um, she is married to the director. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson is mm-hmm. the director of the, at least writer and director for the last three, I think. Uh, I'm not, we could look that um, up at some yeah. point, but uh, that, yeah, yeah. But he so, is the director for a few of them. So that I think is a great thing for a movie like this, which really is kind of like Pirates of the Caribbean and that series. These mm-hmm. are built on a very flimsy concept. You know, I played not very many video games, but I did play the first Resident Evil a million years ago. And the first Resident Evil is nothing like the first Resident Evil movie. There's the idea is the same umbrella corp is the same, but I don't know if that become if they dovetail more and more. Mm, the they movies, don't. They they're don't. completely separate storylines. And it doesn't point. matter because they're crafting a good, tight story based on the kernel of information that the that the video game provides. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of great because they can build a really, really uh, fun, active, powerful lead character, mm-hmm. and she can do anything because they don't have to dovetail with the games. They can be sort of an alternate canon or or not sure. canon or anything. Sure. So I think that's great. And, and I if, think she does such a great job. She, I, it, I do think it's her more. It's her in the movies more than the source material. I mean, sure, because they're so different. Resident Evil fans may go to the movies, but you're not going to see the Resident Evil franchise. Although you are expecting to see some of the characters that you see. If you do want a movie that is true to the canon of the movie, you should go pick up Resident Evil Degeneration, which is a live motion capture animated movie. And it's Japanese, but I think it's dubbed for English. They came out in 2008, but that fo- that is strict to the canon of the movie. But I think one of the things that make uh, Resident Evil franchise so much fun is the costumes are awesome. There's great costuming in this. They do a lot of different things with Mila, who used to be a model. So she's very mannequin-esque in these and, and different outlandish outfits for her. But the other characters uh, are, are costumed up pretty well. And there's great practical makeup. Every time you see a zombie up close... That's, they're excellent. They're oh, yeah. really they, well they, done. Yeah, and the are. action sequences, while wild, are they're very fun and they're very well done. Yeah. And then, you know, you brought up a point when I think we were watching the third one. You were like, wait a minute. This is a superhero movie. Alice is a superhero. Yep. And and the, the nemeses that she fights, they are also supervillains. Uh, and I think that's totally true. And if you look at it that way... and. You know, I, I, I can't really tell you what a comic book movie looks like. I mean, a um, video game movie looks like uh, without really thoughtfully considering whether or not it's a lot like a comic book movie. It's mm-hmm. an alternate universe that maybe all the physics of this universe don't apply there. But, you know, mostly generally we like to think of them as in this world. Mm-hmm. And I think that obviously is, as the Resident Evil movies progress, that becomes more and more obvious because they have simulations of New York and Tokyo and things like that. So yeah. obviously, this is this world to them. So the physics don't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. But by then, you don't care because you have been uh, essentially by watching, you're educated to what to expect out of this universe. And I will say, the fifth movie, oof. Crazy. It, it was It was a little a lot. You also don't really care. But, but we were surprised in the early movies that the plot and the continuity were, they were okay. They weren't, I mean, these were, 
these were crazy. There, there were eye rolly parts of the plot, but overall it was pretty much okay. Um, I would like to point out though, it was in, uh, Resident Evil Extinction, I believe where we got, uh, 50 Mila Jovovich's in leather and tight ponytails. Yeah. And you know, it's an interesting thing because I don't, we maybe talked about this very briefly, but one of the things that I absolutely think is fantastic about this movie is it is a movie based on a video game that has a very, very, very powerful, very strong, um, dedicated throughout the entire series main character who is a woman. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't suffer a lot of the unfortunate tropes that happen in actual video games. And she doesn't really in Resident Evil either. But she's a strong woman Mm -hmm. who does not run around mostly naked and whose boobs do not defy gravity. And that's hugely powerful, I think. That's a very rare thing in movies in general, much less comic book movies or comic books or video games or video game movies or even Pirates of the Caribbean, which is a movie franchise based off a ride. And they play with that trope a lot because it's Mila Jovovich, who is incredibly gorgeous and very fit in shape, ready to action, like the, you know, the female version of The Rock, right? She is just totally buff and ready for these. And they play with that a lot because she has, I believe, a scene in every movie with nothing but a, a very small white towel covering her front. And it's not in the, it's not in the least bit sexy. They find a way mm-hmm. to be like, here, look at our super incredible hot action star female lead. And here she is basically naked. And it's like, it's disturbing. Those mm-hmm. scenes they are not, they don't really play on her sexuality. But at it's all. an interesting thing because like, especially I think in the last one, she gets all geared up and she's in full on like this crazy, like just at her chin to all the way to the soles of her shoes, black leather buckles, gorgeous. And mm-hmm. she is covered Pretty much, except for her hands, from the bottom, from her chin down. Mm -hmm. And it's super great. She looks great. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. So we watched all five of these movies, and they are tied together very well. They really, truly are a series with the end of each movie dovetailing into the beginning of the next. And that was real. That's what was fun. It was like binge watching an eight or nine hour series. Um, And that felt to me that was that was great. I it's rare to see a series where they literally pick up, it's the end of movie one is the beginning of movie two. The end of movie two is the beginning of movie three. I cannot think of another series I've seen where it's tied together that tightly. Now, great. Once you get into the actual movie, shit gets crazy. They're not really worried about canon or not all that worried about continuity, not all that worried about power continuity, the power, the the abilities of the characters. At one point, Mila Jovovich loses all of her superpowers when she survived right moments before her jet crashes into the side of a mountain, Destroying the jet, she somehow walks away unscathed, continues to beat up bad guys for many, many hours to come, and then at the end gets her powers back. And you're like, wait a minute, how could she have done all those things without having powers? But we don't worry about that. Let's talk about a couple of things that people might not expect Resident Evil's cultural influence on other movies and TV. Mm -hmm. Man, let's look at, first of all, first of all, the eye, the iconic image of Resident Evil, Mm -hmm. the super tight close-up on the eye, which is how many movies open. It's a transition piece during movies. It's how some of the movies end. And the, Uh, and the, it is the transition for Alice being her human self to being her programmed self because you see the umbrella. The umbrella, the umbrella corp. I would like to point out that the iconic image of Lost, the TV series Lost, is that extreme close-up on a character's eye. Uh, That was done in 2004. Uh, ma'am, ma'am, wow. do you know who did the eye before Lost? No. Resident Evil, 2002, two full years before Lost. Also, 
let's talk about the zombie craze. Now, of course, today, zombies are still everywhere. We're used to them with The Walking Dead and, the, and iZombie and many, many movies and TV shows, comic books. Resident Evil came out in 2002, and the game came out in 1996. I posit to you, miss, that Resident Evil is responsible for this round of zombie resurgence. 28 Days Later also came out in 2002. Great movie. So Resident Evil and 28 Days Later came out in 2002. Big year for zombie movies. You have to go back to 1993 for the biggest zombie flick before that, which Return of the Living Dead, number three. So if you'll pardon the pun, from 93 to 2002, zombie movies, kind of a uh, a dead genre. Mm-hmm. Dead yeah. on arrival. Yeah, dead on arrival. Uh, so I'm not so sure that... that- Resident Evil creates the zombie craze. Well, I think it's a, do, do you think it boosts it? It gives oh, it a absolutely. boost? Absolutely. And there are some terrible, terrible zombie movies out there. Oh, uh, I didn't count the shitty ones. But, I, there are hundreds. Right. But that's my point. Like, not I, It obviously influences the genre because all five of these movies are, well, the first four are totally solid. They're in, internally consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, they're intrinsically fun. And then the fifth one gets a little less consistent, but Bug it was nuts. super fun. Well, the Super visuals fun to look at and stuff the, like that. The number five, which is uh, Retribution, mm-hmm. has clearly the, they spent the most money on the screen, and you can see it. It's gorgeous to look at. Massive amount of contrast, bright, bright whites, giant white sets with people in dark clothes fighting on those sets. The monsters are great. Even the CGI monsters are mm-hmm. all pretty good. Let me go back to the zombie thing for one moment, though, okay. if I may. If I may, The Walking Dead, the uh, end all be all of the zombie world right now. The Walking Dead first came out, the first issue came out in 2003, a year after Resident Evil and 28 Days Later. And I have to wonder, ma'am, I have to posit, we assume it took a few issues for The Walking Dead to pick up, become this juggernaut that it is. I don't think it kicked out right out of the gate. Could the demand for zombie goods be because of the success of Resident Evil and 28 Days Later, bringing zombies back to the fore and people wanting it in any, any way they could get it? Yeah, I'm totally, but I don't know that we can say that definitively because if if both movies came out in 2002 or whenever it was, mm-hmm. they obviously didn't influence each other. They were probably trying to race each other to market for all I know, but they were both good, sustainable, internally consistent ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And that's terrifying to us. We don't want to live in a world that doesn't have, you know, that has zombies in it and doesn't have a um, the life trajectory that we expect we get to have unless we get hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. So they were both good. They were different stories, but they were terrifying. And the zombies, zombies always seem similar, right? In, in, in movies. So I think that they could have, but I, I think it's very hard to tell because they were both standalone movies at that time. And so if you, if you, by the time the second Resident Evil movie came out, I think you'd have to look and see how popular The Walking Dead was. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, obviously it could have influenced it, but it's sort of the same thing as any genre-based um, or highly genre-based sort of uh, activity. Like there's something about zombies that t- caught on then and hasn't let go. And you see quite a lot of steampunk at conventions and in, in novels, but steampunk in the great big wide world, um, not so much. Like we don't see a ton of steampunk movies. There have been steampunk movies, but they don't, that hasn't been embraced quite the same way, and I don't know why that is. So maybe it's the output of several different formats of really good zombies. A bunch stories. of things hitting, a bunch of things hitting at once. Uh, interesting side note: you said it's not likely that Resident Evil and Twenty Eight Days Later influenced each other, mm-hmm. but as you know, Twenty Eight Days Later, which comes out in two thousand two, is followed by The Walking Dead, and in the walk, both of them have 
almost identical openings, which is a man in a coma in a hospital waking up after the apocalypse has already hit. 28 Days Later, it's in Danny Boyle's movie. It's in the hospital. Of course, Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead wake up the same way. Since 28 Days Later came out first, there was initially accusations that Robert Kirkman had ripped that off. But Kirkman is adamant that the book was already done before that movie came out. So it's just a crazy, crazy coincidence. Crazy well, and coincidence. if you think about it, like there's a million, um, there's a book called Blindness. Um, oh, Saramago. I can't remember the author's first name, mm-hmm. um, which has nothing to do with zombies. It has to do with um, society falling apart. And he, that's how that, that, that's one of the ways that that starts. It starts a little more simply. And the idea is for one day, for no good reason, everybody goes blind. Or one person goes blind, and mm-hmm. then other people follow. And he's actually walking, I think, walking out of a clinic or something, un- like a dentist's office or something unrelated. Mm-hmm. But In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe— it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I mean, think about the ways that you don't have to tell the backstory. There's not that many ways you do that. Right. Unless you, you know, unless you wake up one day with horns, mm-hmm. or, you know, you're walking down the street and suddenly turn blind, or right. you were... <laughs> Don't know why. We don't talk about why you're in the hospital either. What we know is you wake up and the whole world is different. And that's, um, I guess that's a common element of both 28 Days Later and The Walking Dead is the storytellers wanted to jump, start telling the story as far forward as they could. So there is no, there is, you don't have to do what I did with infected, contagious and pandemic and show the decline of civilization. I was asleep for a couple of weeks and I woke up and things were kind of shitty. And then... The other part that they use in that is making sure that no one knows what happened. So right. that's that's getting rid of so much exposition backstory. Uh, I went to sleep. I The world was fine. I went to sleep. I woke up and it was a world full of zombies. We're in the apocalypse. And no one I mean has any idea of how this came to be. That immediately frees you up for action and character. You don't have to worry about anything else. Right. And I think also um, Emmy carries The Girl with All the Gifts, which I think... I think that movie came out in 2016. Well, I think it's is, still coming. Is it think, still, yeah, coming? still coming? Yeah, yeah. The book is lights out great mm-hmm. and is uh, something of a zombie novel itself. It's a little different, but um, that's the same problem. They sort of have a little bit of information about the decline, but not a lot. But I will bring up, um, because of the 
it, going back to Resident Evil, because of the Umbrella Corp, which is fictitious, and they create something called the Hive, which is essentially this gigantic underground complex in many several cities, mm-hmm. um, where they don't have to deal with any of the the geogra- or, um, geologic issues. Like there, it goes whatever four miles down. Mm-hmm. And there's no heating issue. There's no cooling issue. High tech no, man. High tech. Yeah. There's they, no. They got, um, they got that nail. It's high tech. Yeah. Exactly. But that's just <laughs> it because they don't do one of the things that I don't really like about other genre zombie genre things is the and it's i mean you've heard it a thousand times who mows the lawn on the walking dead Mm -hmm. where do they all get makeup Mm -hmm. it's been years where is that coming from what do they do how are they doing that and how can you have perfect makeup but also be sweaty cold greasy hungry and starving or you know all at the same time all the time Mm -hmm. if if i spend three days out in the cold and out in the elements I'm not going to have great makeup, even if I started with great makeup. But that always happens. That And people get their hair cut. Who's cutting their hair and when does that happen? I don't know who does that. Zombie barber. But none of that, actually. There's not a lot of that concern in the Resident Evil movies because the Resident Evil movies are almost all either hive-based or destroyed city, scape They still find time to touch up that lipstick, though. My, oh, my, sure. My, my the, ma- the makeup, for good. sure. Yeah. But, but remember... Especially in the replicant one, uh-huh. those are those are built that way too. Yeah. Millions of of clones are built that way, which uh-huh. I find fascinating. But I over overall that you don't deal with quite a lot of that. Like who's collecting the garbage in the streets? Yeah, and especially the Resident Evil stuff. Now, The Walking Dead, which is so much more gr- gritty and realistic, you might expect that they address this at some point. But mm-hmm. in, the, in the Resident Evil, it's just, it's, you know, you can say superhero movie, video game movie. Those are not the details with which we are concerned with ourselves. So, moving on then, since we've talked mostly about this, uh, we watched all, with five movies and all the goodies we've given you so far, it's honestly too much for one episode to talk about. About all five okay. flicks individually. All right. So I would like you to give me a few of your favorite elements of the franchise. Well, I have two. I think there's two things that make this franchise. Number one, Mila Jovovich. Sure. Who's awesome. Especially the one where there are 50 clone Mila Joviches running around laying waste to the bad guys. It's so It's very dope. It's crazy and it's dope. But I do think she completely carries. She carries. There's a reason this thing's made a billion dollars. It's her. I, I think it might be her and Paul Anderson, Paul it, W.S. Anderson. It, it could be, but I, I think that some, some of the head shaky moments in these series, just like, oh, for crying out loud, I think he's done a really good job. I think you put another another talented star in that role. I'm not sure it makes the same amount of But that's money. my point, that they are, they are a, a power, to make this movie, they're a powerful Hollywood couple, okay. you know, because they know each other very well, mm-hmm. because they're married, or even if, you know, they've worked together before, and and I think all throughout the writing process for the ones that he wrote, you have a lot more access to your star in, yeah. in this case. So it's much more handcrafted for her. That's a good point. I hadn't thought, I hadn't thought about that. So although she is clearly the star vehicle of this franchise, oh sure, she might not have been such a star vehicle without someone else spending all that time with her and catering. Like, well, how do we build this towards your skill set and your strengths? Or like, Which, hey, can you do a cartwheel? Yeah, <laughs> which I assure you she can. I've yeah, seen her do course, cartwheels. Yeah. The other element has to be uh, Rob Bacon Dobermans. Dude. Every movie has... <laughs> I was totally going to say that. The absolutely my favorite part are the weird zombie dogs. Zombie dogs. Zombie doesn't dogs. really make any sense. Doesn't make a whole mm-hmm. lot of sense, but it doesn't have to. Because not only are there zombie dogs, in the first book, they do a good job of... 
they don't hit first movie first movie excuse okay. me in the first movie they don't hit you over the head with here come some zombie dogs and when the zombie dogs show up you're like oh shit that's a moment where you're like yeah i'm, I'm too cool i'm too cool for to go over this movie i've seen zombie. this is like oh my god zombie dogs and you're like you lean forward and you're very excited but in the rest of the movies they go through such pains to show you that the dog kennels have been ripped apart yeah here's empty dog kennels with a cage door I love this. The cage doors always have the wire ripped apart so a dog can crawl through and the door is also open. So now we're starting to go, well, why they could open it? Why do they? But you don't worry about that. What you worry about is you're like, I think there, here's a giant neon sign that says, Hey, we're going to have some zombie dogs here, but maybe not. You don't know. And I'm like, bro, we know, we know, just bring them out. You don't have to foreshadow the shit anymore. It's the, it's, it's, and then they keep ramping up the abilities of the zombie dogs, which is why I'm most excited for movie six. I got to see what they do with zombie dogs. It was zombie bacon dogs. Zombie bacon we dogs. We like to call them zombie bacon Dobermans. Raw bacon and barbecue sauce slathered so, all over them. I will say this. I think part of the reason that they do that in the, that they show you the lab in the beginning um, and uh, Blade 3 does this as, does this well as well. Mm-hmm. They specifically point out that they are breeding this virus so that it works in different species, mm-hmm. which, you know, zoonosis is a thing that can happen, but isn't easily And for you folks at home, zoonosis is the transfer of a disease from one species to another, also called jumping diseases. Yeah. So that is a thing that certainly does happen. It isn't very common and it isn't very easy to accidentally happen, right? Mm-hmm. It, but it certainly does happen in, in our real world. But if you are creating zombies right this second at the Umbrella Corp, It might not happen quite that quickly. So they make a point of saying, also, we have all these dogs and we've been testing on dogs as well, because the idea behind it is the Umbrella Corp is trying to create a weapon, a a weaponized human or whatever. I think they should have tested on cats because nobody nobody likes cats. But they can't. Well, I think the Internet would disagree with you, sir. Well, the Internet, I believe the Internet mocks cats. Well, oh, and but, gives uh, them any cheeseburgers. <laughs> just, At least they used to. I'm not I sure if that's a thing that still happens. It is my sincere hope that no dogs were harmed in the actual filming of this series. It is my sincere hope that when the shooting was done for the day, the dogs got to eat the bacon and barbecue sauce. <laughs> but I, but anyway, I think that that's a good I, I I think that's a good thing that they do in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I also think, which I brought up when we were watching, and you were like, "Why did the door open?" It didn't necessarily have to be the dogs. Who went in and got, uh, who went back in or opened the door, or they could have gone back in to get food or water or their, you know, their whoopee or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it also, some of the doors open aren't destroyed. So that could have been a zombie in the lab tearing open all the, the could be. cages or whatever. It, it, it could be. It could be. But, um, so actually, we, this, oh, wait, what been, was your, we didn't get yours. What, uh, what is Doberman's was my favorite. Oh, that's I was your favorite say, Bacon yeah, Doberman's. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll, t- I told you the first thing. I, I love that this, this hugely successful, hugely powerful um, series of movies stars a badass girl mm-hmm. who's not entirely naked and doesn't have gravity-defying boobs. That in itself is such a rarity, and it's in a genre where we it, and they don't, it is helpful. And they don't. And you know, for you dudes at home who are who sometimes grow grow fatigued with that conversation, it's also a kind of thing where it's completely normalized in the movie. Yeah, they don't, they don't draw, talk about it at all. They don't all. talk about it. There's no attention drawn to it, which is what which is what I like the most about that angle. It's it just is. Mm-hmm. She's the she's the lead. She is written into the milieu of the movie and the in the franchise why she kicks so much ass. Mm-hmm. And then she she delivers fantastic physical performances to make you believe that she's doing this stuff. And I honestly think that's true of the main characters over and over again. The the 
the representation of um, oh geez, I can't remember the character's name, but he's a, a man of Middle Eastern, an actor of Middle Eastern descent. Mm-hmm. Also not mentioned. There's uh, all of Omar those Epps. sort of in- Mike Epps. Excuse me, Mike Epps. The the, oh, right, right. The, street, yeah, exactly. the street wise guy from the a few of the movies. These things are there, and you know, I. I but but it isn't. It isn't at all mentioned, and that is normalizing, and representation is normalizing, and those yeah. sorts of things. So I love that. But my favorite part, I mean, this, this is a cheesy, rollicking series. Rollicking is a good word for it. Bacon Dobermans. Bacon Dobermans. <laughs> they're so good. And they're in every one. And by, I, I am, honestly, I'm going to be super pissed if at some point we don't have Bacon, bacon Dobermans in the final chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it's better than the um, the vampire Pomeranian in Blade 3. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so um, why don't we talk a little bit about each movie, if you want? Sure. I, we got a little bit of time to do that? Let's do I that. I think we do. Let's do that. Only a few points, but I bet we only have a few points. So in the first movie, uh, they kick it right off the bat with a huge data dump. They establish Umbrella Corp's power in mere minutes. They get straight to the plot. Um, they do... Script wise, they do so much work in the first eight minutes to make let's, you know, don't worry about all these details. Here's the only thing you need to know. Super powered organization. Zombie thing has gone bad. People are already dead and the apocalypse is coming and bacon Doberman foreshadowing all (laughs) all in the first eight minutes. And uh, they they work in some subtle amnesia for Alice and Mm -hmm. the writing, you know, like great things like she sees a book with some writing in it. So she grabs a pen and writes that same sentence and realizes that's not her writing. So a couple really subtle things to show she has no recollection of anything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I also think, so one of the things that I didn't, there are little things that I don't really like coming from a science background, mm-hmm. a science education. Mm-hmm. Um, I There is a an actual line in that data dump you were just talking about where Alice says that they were building viruses or they were... They were building um, bio um, weapons. Okay. And she says, the illegal kind, genetic, viral. (laughs) And you're like, what the fuck is all of that? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all, except it's that sort of scaremongering of, ooh, genetic. Yeah. Like, really? Genetic? That doesn't make any sense. That's not a thing. What do you... It's hand wavy for them. They say illegal genetic science and viruses, and then they can... They don't, you know, that's part of that, that eight minute burst. Uh, at 15 minutes and 32 seconds, we get the ticking clock. So right out of the right out of the gate, we know our characters have a certain amount of time to get stuff done. One of the few drawbacks I have in the series, you get into in, in movie one, and it continues throughout the series. It's really bad sound dubbing when they do the sound stage work, and when they have you know characters come in to voice their part to what's up on the screen. I don't know if they're cutting corners on that or budget with all the cool things in this movie. The sound dubbing is just terrible. And it makes it sound really fake, which is interesting because they do a lot of cool work with um, ambient sound effects, dragging axes, rolling tanks, a lot Mm -hmm. of echo. They do all these things so well. And then when they, when you see a character talking in a close up, you can tell like that voice was recorded somewhere that wasn't this set. Um, Yeah, I think so. I do wonder this though. Um, You have a great cool projector slash surround sound system mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i watch almost everything on my laptop mm-hmm. if i'm not here and we're doing it um and i wonder if that that is part of um the experience that you have doing surround sound and i wonder if it would be the same because i maybe. coming through earbuds maybe maybe maybe, maybe. That, that's a good point 
I will say, uh, you mentioned the zombie dogs, and yep. I made a note in movie one, uh, zombie dogs are good dogs, Bront. They're all good dogs. <laughs> all good dogs. Uh, 45 minutes, we get the classic man going down under a swarm of zombies, which is legally obligated. All zombie movies, you must have a man going down under a swarm of movies, zombies. And then uh, one of the parts that we both like so much, five, 58 minutes and 43 seconds in, a little bit of a fact check for you people at home. No, after you die... Your hair and fingernails do not continue to grow. Mm -hmm. Cells do not continue to form. And the brain does not hold a small electrical charge for months. No. Not, no, not F-O-U-R for months and months. So they, they at some point, it's almost like in the writer's room. So it's, well, how can they be doing this? And somebody Googled something. Does your mm -hmm. body keep doing things after? And they find these urban myths that don't exist. And then they wrote it into the movie. Um, yeah. And then at one hour and 18 minutes, science, what little science they had completely jumps the shark. With the instant mutation. Yes, yes. Yes. Once the monster feeds on fresh DNA, it instantly mutates. And there's got to be something super cool from the video game. But in the movie, you're just like, oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, geez, oh, Pete's. So let's go to the second, uh, the second uh, okay. installment. Because the second installment is kind of um, gets a little more uh, rollicking action movie-ish. Mm -hmm. And also totally jumps the shark with the science. Um, so it starts in the the... In a church, early on in the movie, they end up in a church trying to protect themselves from hordes of zombies. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, it was great. Like we, you see a shot of the church and the our band of of adventurers headed mm -hmm. towards it. And you called everything that was about to happen <laughs> in the next three minutes. You're like, uh, this is going to be ludicrous, but it's going to be. I wrote the whole thing down. Oh, good, so good. <laughs> this is going to be ludicrous but fun. And then you say. That's where Mila jo Jojovich shows up for the first time because the little band of adventurers don't yet include her. Mm -hmm. She she will save the day once they barricade themselves inside the church. Yep. And then uh, a little later, and she shows up on a motorcycle. <laughs> and when yeah. she shows up, you're like, there she is. I bet she blows up that those gas tanks. And because uh, she's grinding this ludicrous motorcycle. And of course, she shoots the gas tank to kill other zombies or to kill zombies yeah. or whatever. And uh, I thought it was amazing. I was like... I'm so glad that I am not, I'm like not drinking uh, alcohol at all so that I remember how fucking amazing that was. That was you were a like, little, here we go, here we go, here we yeah, go. Yeah, great. I was able to call those beats pretty quick. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, this movie, hold, this uh, installment holds my least favorite part of the entire series. Which is? Which is, there's a graveyard scene. Oh, yeah. And in the graveyard scene, the long dead corpses become zombies. Yeah. Okay, so I was super mad about this because zombies, I mean zombies, viruses need live tissue to replicate. Yes, they do. That is the That's way that... how viruses actually yes. work. They cut open the DNA, they insert their own DNA or RNA in, and then your body's normal cellular reproductive process makes more copies of the viruses. Right, so that was a whole bunch of hogwash. And was, I was... And not, not, but you don't mean like hogwash in general, because you know zombies are crazy. It was hogwash within the continuity of the film exactly, itself. Exactly, exactly. Which, which, again, these movies are way better than you would expect them to be okay. for video game movies, I think. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the breakdowns that they didn't, there's no reason they had to do. It is scary enough to be in a graveyard. And you could you could have done it super easy by having zombie horde follow them and or fall into you know, an open grave. Dead people or anything, or anything like you want. Yeah. Well, recently dead people, same problem. If they're in a graveyard, that's not No, I didn't mean works. recently buried, but you could have had the spooky thing. But I think... I think that was another one. Just like it's obligate, it's obligatory that a man goes down under a huge horde of zombies and you hear mm -hmm. him screaming and then vanish beneath the arms and everything. I think it's also obligatory. You have to have a graveyard scene. 
If you're doing zombie series, it's got to be a graveyard scene. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It was just very disappointing because they specifically kind of talk about yeah. it. It's like, yeah, that's it not, doesn't fit. That's not it doesn't fit works. their own canon at all. Yeah. But then, not too long after that, you also call another thing, which is one of my favorite parts of this. Okay. In this second installment, um, they are, uh, they are, some of the people in the in their band of adventurers are stars. Is it? They work for a special, like a sniper reconnaissance kind of a right. cop. Yeah, police like a local sort of local thing. local police force uh, SWAT stars. SWAT team basically. Yeah. And there's a um a new mutated version of Alice that they have built, the Umbrella Corporation has built, mm-hmm. and they send that out for testing. And two things. One, that particular uh monster is you you meet him as human in the first movie. Yes. And they, they do a good take job him and they do a really good job of letting her know that this guy, this monster, was the guy she was trying to help. You know that she was. Um, they were su- trying to take down Umbrella together in the first movie. Right. So that's nice because she realizes the depth of her own inhumanity. Now she mm-hmm. also, even though she's not this monster, because he's a monster, and she's Mila Jojovich. Even though she's not a monster, she is absolutely not who she was. And that's great. And that was, that's the dichotomy of the series is the plot. They obviously wrote one and two together. I mean, Mm -hmm. they wrote those two together and they flow together extremely well from the the big bad to that monster, et cetera. But it does bring up one crazy, another crazy continuity point in the series is who the fuck is the Umbrella Corp testing new weapons to sell to? They've established, they've beaten you over the head with the fact that the entire world has collapsed. There is no economy. For some reason, there's no water. They don't quite explain. And then everything dried up. And you're like, wait, what? What does that have to do with people dying, everything drying up? But then you let that slide because you want to have a good time and the popcorn is tasty, right? Right. Then all of a sudden, the Umbrella Corp is still, we're testing weapons. We're going to make a fortune with this. I'm like, there's no one left to sell them to. And there's no banks. And there's no, like the the fact that they have money, they might as well put it in Gringotts in Harry Potter's world where they just sit on the gold and do nothing because that is not the way it works anymore. Um, But yeah, that's a pretty big block. It's a bit bit of a hole. Bit of a hole. Although I do love though when they are when they bring Nemesis out. That's the the villain is called Nemesis or the monster is called Nemesis. And when they bring him out, they are like, "Oh my God, we can't beat this guy!" But he's targeting only people who are part of that SWAT team. Mm-hmm. And they learn about that and they're, uh, as they watch who he kills. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really it's a clever, clever thing to say. Like we are taking out the most talented of the people who have talent that could kill us. Yeah. So smart. Yes. Um, let's see. That's about all I have to say about number two. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I was surprised, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> you were surprised. Well, let's see. I have a note, and then I think this is three, but I'm not really okay. sure. It says internally consistent, yet totally ludicrous. But, And then she says, oh, yeah, this could be three because, um, nope, number two. The fuck is geometric rate? And when talking about her exponential power, she says her powers expanded exponentially at a geometric rate. <laughs> the fuck does that mean? I don't know. It sounds fancy. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what, one of the things, the music, all the sound elements of these movies are not very good. So, of course, I'm obsessed with sound and the, the sound dubbing is bad. The music's atrocious. It's really bad. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. And it continues in a number three and it almost, and then in number three, something happens. It almost becomes endearing. Like part of the schlockitude of this fun series is this incredibly overly dramatic industrial techno metal. 
and uh, mm. it doesn't really have any application. But at number three, the the killer zombie birds are awesome. They are great visuals. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack doesn't keep up with those scenes. So just so that's called Resident Evil Extinction, and that one is the movie poster where there is um, there is uh, it's it's Las Vegas Strip. Yep. It's the Las Vegas Strip, and uh, that's the one where she says in the intro um, voiceover. It killed all the lakes and oceans. Yeah, that's whatever. that's the one. You're like, what? what? <laughs> the fuck does a virus dry up the oceans? What are you talking about? Also, early on in a voiceover, she says um, that they are developing an ant that, that there exists an anti-vax, which okay. quote unquote reverses the effects of the virus. I know that's the best one. They're already so when you reverse it, what happens? They're dead. What happens? Now there was a movie. A not very good movie called Outbreak. Not exactly about viruses, but I mean about zombies, but about viruses uh, uh-huh. a million years ago. Uh-huh. Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, yeah. Cuba Monkeys. Green Jr. Mm-hmm. Yep. And at the end of that movie, they have figured out how to stop the virus uh, from from hurting people. And they're administering bags of whatever the solution to fix the problem is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They make a point throughout that entire movie talking about how this virus liquefies internal organs yep so if you have a liquefied liver and a liquefied heart you're gonna have some runny poops for a very short time (laughs) you're going to have very runny poops and then you're going to be dead so or die yeah so how do you unliquefy a heart I I, i was a chemistry major and one of the things i had to do in organic chemistry was uh distill not distill uh to extract um mitochondrial DNA from a beef heart, from a cow heart, you have to liquefy the cow heart to get to the mitochondria. Did you use that virus? I didn't use it. I used a flipping blender. And you know what you don't do with the meat smoothie once you're done? Drink it. One, you don't drink it. Good call. (laughs) That probably should always be number one. But number two, you don't reassemble it into a beef heart. No, you can. You're being so stupid. You just put the blender in reverse. Jesus Christ. I didn't even business, Our business doings together are done, ma'am. I can't be with someone this stupid. This is crazy. (laughs) Um, I would like to point out that one minute and eight seconds, this is the only... I made two notes about number three. I thought the zombie zombie birds were an awesome, great visual. They did a good job with those. Um, and then when Mila takes care of them, it's quite spectacular. It's it a is, yeah. wonderful, wonderful scene. It's just beautiful to look at. At one hour and eight minutes, I wrote down, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you can see the producer's nephew running through the script room, demanding that they change things and make it, quote, way more mega cool, end quote. And then also, quote, fuck yeah, that's totally fucking badass, yo, end quote. That is my note. So if you go to watch this movie... Mark down one hour and eight minutes into Resident and Evil 3. And email us and remind us what happened there because we didn't write that down. <laughs> I've already blocked that shit out. I've already blocked that Although out. Although I did have another direct quote from you. Okay. Which is, rule number one for evil overlord companies. You have to have your own power plant dummies, preferable, preferably with multiple redundancies. Yeah. Also have no idea what that's about. Well, that was about the fact that uh, the Umbrella Corp has their own satellite network and power. And oh, that's right. That's civilization right. Yeah. collapses. Uh, Umbrella Corp is so well prepared. Everybody is clean and scrubbed with plenty of clean clothes and weapons and gear and food and water. It doesn't really matter though. So maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I still think, I don't know who they're going to sell this shit to. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, have you got any other notes on three? Cool. Otherwise I, I got notes on four. Okay. Uh, Resident Evil 4, I think my favorite out of the, all of them. Um, many, many, many leather clad space Mila Joviches. This is a good thing unless mm-hmm. you're a bad guy and it's a very, very bad, bad thing for the bad guys. But this is another... Really interesting um, sort of continuity, like 
it's internally consistent and such an enormous flaw. Mm-hmm. So we realize in Resident Evil 4 that the Umbrella Corp is making Matrix-like clones of Alice. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's a hundred of them at all at once. Yes. And you see at some point you sort of see the, the clone pods where they're growing Alice's. Okay. So to actually do that in a lab, one, you're not going to grow an, a whole Alice, right? I mean, today with the real technology today, but you can grow in a medium. You can grow like, you know, you've seen it like an ear on a mouse or yes. things like that. You've seen those things. And you can grow tissue in a dish, just like they're doing in this clone idea. But that takes raw material. Again, the entire world is destroyed. Dude, they Where got, are they getting the Because they've material? got a kick-ass storeroom. They have a really nice storeroom. Filled room. with living tissue to replicate? Yeah, yeah. living tissue. Uh, they got extra snack bars. They got toilet paper, like <laughs> whole rooms of toilet paper. You probably need it. Because once your heart liquefies and you've got those runny poops, you're going to need some toilet paper for those few mm, minutes you're still yeah, alive. That's true, that's true. Uh, the first 20 minutes of this flick is completely over the top. Like they don't, at this point... In the first 20 minutes of movie four, they're like, you know what? Fuck it. We have to up-level the spectacularness of everything. It's it's pretty impressive. And at 49 minutes, mole people. Oh, yes, yes. You also, before we pressed play and started watching, you said, I'm making a prediction. Mm-hmm. There will be much slow motion running. <laughs> and you were totally right. There was a lot all, of Mila's slow, slow almost motion Almost all running. of Mila's running is slow motion, and almost all of her kills are slow motion. It's quite impressive. And then an hour and five minutes in... Kudos to the whole team. Super fun scene with a big nail guy and a crazy fight scene. So I like that a lot. Yep. And that's all that I have for four. And then number five. Number five. A shit show. It was so interestingly. I call it a shit show. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing this shit to Citizen Kane, right? Right. I'm comparing number five to the first four movies. So I'm being internally consistent with a franchise that has made a billion dollars. So they've obviously done some good things. You get to number five and you're like. Which is why you don't like sequels, why people in general frown on sequels in movies, because sequel number two or three hits, you're like, did they not watch the first movie? And you get frustrated. You're like, I want this continuous story. And Resident Evil 1, 2, 3, and 4 are very tight. The the timeline, plot lines all tie together, repeating characters. Everything is mostly internally consistent story-wise. Then in 5, shit goes crazy. Well, right. And you can tell that that the... the but the actual budget got bigger. The money yeah, budget you got can bigger. See it. You also can tell that the idea was okay. Well, we've done all this crazy shit, and people are still on this ride with us. <laughs> what can we do now? And it just the whole um, milieu kind of gets bigger. They're on an aircraft carrier at some point. They fly to Alaska at some point. Yeah. They do all this huge, big stuff that they don't normally do, mm-hmm. and um, and it doesn't yeah it doesn't make a ton of sense but um it is so so pretty to look at and the first uh maybe 5 minutes or so are on an aircraft carrier it's a big uh, oil tanker actually. oil tanker yeah. yes mm-hmm. and um and they do it in reverse and yeah that's and that is super cool it, it is, is super cool. cool and and it and then well, they do it in reverse in super slow mo and then when you see it happen and plays it back, they play it back at a rapid speed. Yeah. And and it actually is very exciting and fun to watch. And that is your first indicator that this is different than the rest of the movies. And mm-hmm. you actually think that's a really fun thing. And then it just goes to hell in a handbasket. It just goes to hell in a handbasket. I would still, if you have watched the first four and you're planning on watching number six, oh, I'd still watch this watch one. It. Like yeah. we keep saying it was, it kind of fell apart, but that's different than saying 
especially since you know what you're in for because it's movie number five. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't watch it. If you're going to, especially if you're going to go see number six, just go ahead and watch it because there's got to be some consistency that will come in from five into six. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm hoping we'll be grateful we watch five when we go to watch six. So it was, but um, it it was, it was really weird because it was so pretty to look at, but story wise fell apart and also brought in a lot of elements from previous movies, which made it as a fan made it super fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got a lot of pretty people in it. And there's a few uh, moments in the where in the, the internal story or not the the of the story of number five that bring new elements of humanity. There's the uh, they're out off the coast of Los Angeles and there's a movie producer guy mm-hmm. and he's sort of smarmy and, you know, only is out for himself and is exactly that sort of um this sort of smarmy Hollywood producer yes. sort of a guy. I like him. Every trope that you that yes. you know about Hollywood dudes. Yeah, like he was very... all in it for himself. Do you know who I am? Kind of guy. Yep. yep. Which is silly. But anyway, that I think uh, probably wraps up our show. What do you think? Mr. I Sigmund? do. I think we've covered an enormous amount. We have educated the proletariat on the economic impact of the Resident Evil franchise and also broadened their horizons when it comes to bitching about tiny little things in movies that we admittedly like. So that'll do it. If you have questions for Scott or for me, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode of Story Smack, email info at empty set. You can find us both online. Scott is Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us online at scottsigler.com slash Story Smack. We'd love to see your comments there as well. You can find us on iTunes. Search for Scott Sigler Audiobooks and subscribe. You'll get a free audiobook episode every Sunday and a big head of Story Smack every Friday. And next week we are discussing the 10 movies of 2016 that had the most girthy, bloated, swole-up budgets. We will see how the big hitters did and analyze what kind of movies get the swole treatment these days. Norm Sambra, swole up. <laughs> okay. Well, until next time, that was our, our show for this week. Have a good week, Mr. Sigler. Goodbye. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.